What's up, everybody? It's Free Association on the Sportsnet Podcast Network. I'm J.D. Bunkus, joined by Donovan Bennett. We texted each other this morning, and normally it's a time where we'll come up with topics and we'll just kind of riff on different stuff that we're thinking about around the NBA. And today it was different, and at least it was for me anyways, where I had a really hard time thinking about anything other than what is happening south of the border and what's been happening in our city of Toronto as of late. And so we we just couldn't really compel ourselves, honestly, to do a podcast about playing games when they really seem kind of trivial right now and they haven't occupied a lot of our mental capacity. So today, I, I think that Donovan and I are just going to kind of shoot it. We're going to just talk a little bit about how we feel, about maybe some of our personal experience and what maybe saddens us, frustrates us, angers us, and gives us reason for optimism. And I don't know, we'll, we'll just kind of see how it goes. So obviously, unless you've been living under a rock, you've seen that protests have broken out all over the United States. Protests have had been happening in Canada over the death of a young black woman who, who died falling or being pushed off of a balcony. We still do not have answers from the police department in the city and across the states in response to the death of George Floyd, uh, a man who was murdered by a police officer after being laid upon with his knee uh, in his neck for over eight minutes. And I'll just start with this. And I've talked about this a little bit before, but this has been a really eye-opening experience just from the standpoint of what privilege is. Because I think that a lot of white people think that privilege means that someone is trying to take away something from you. Someone is trying to diminish whatever it is that you've accomplished in life. And the reality of the situation is that's not true. But the only way for, I think, this to move forward is that this no longer just becomes a black issue that white people realize their part to play in all of this. And that I think that for far too long, what's been happening from large segments of white communities is not really understanding what it means to be an ally. And I just want to kind of start with saying that this I, this starts with yourself and this starts with me and my own reflections and this is how I spent the weekend. And that's simply about thinking what it actually means to be an ally and that this strange bar of thinking that you're not a racist person and that you don't carry that hate in your heart is enough and that you're not contributing to something, but you're also not really contributing to change. and what I hope happens over the next week, month, years, is that a lot of people start to evaluate what exactly we want in our society and how we want to make a change so that people feel the same level of safety when they leave the home, that people feel the same level of their, their lives being of equivalent worth, that they'll be treated the same in terms of by our institutions and especially by our police officers, people who can, you know, can take away your life. And that this is just basically a reflection point. And I, I know, Donovan, we were talking a little bit before the podcast about this. is like, this isn't a new issue for you. This is something that, you know, you've talked about, you've discussed at length. And I, I, I just... I don't know how, if anything, this feels any different for you right now, whether there's more optimism, more pessimism, like where are you at after the weekend? Um, I mean, I'm generally a, or try to be uh, an optimistic person because 
it costs the same, so you might as well look at a glass being half full and not half empty. Um, the weekend, though, had me sad because these things are nuanced and they're not going to be solved overnight. And, you know, there are valid emotions and feelings on both sides. And I think, you know, the important thing to understand is black people are not a monolith. They do not all think exactly the same. They do not all believe the solutions to these problems are necessarily the same. Uh, and, you know, as I watched, um, you know, protests turn to to riots and, you know, a militarized response to the protest and a president who is openly on social media threatening to, uh, to shoot taxpaying citizens. Um, you know, I was, I was sad that it got to this. I was sad that you could watch hours of coverage of protests slash riots being covered like it's a sporting event and you could go hours without hearing the name George Floyd, which is what this is all supposed to be about. Uh, I, I felt sad because none of it is going to bring him back. I felt sad because many of the people who systemically have been trying to push a boulder uphill are set back because there were fires in their communities and drugstores burned down in their communities and small businesses vandalized in their communities and that's not helping those people any that's not helping the relationship with the police um but at the same token that's why i say it's nuanced i do understand certainly that you know it's it's only human nature to be pushed so far until you break in fact it's 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 exactly human nature it's a it's it's in us to have a fight or flight response and at some point whether you are talking about physically pushing them or mentally emotionally systematically pushing them at some point people are going to break and they're going to lash out um and so tupac had a i think a really smart analogy and it was if you could just take yourself in this place imagine there's like a massive feast going on you know banquet hall and you know there's all white people in there eating and enjoying and and getting you know fat and merry off of this feast and there's black people on the other side of the door that's locked starving and at first you know what are you gonna do you're gonna you're gonna knock you know quietly hey hey can i can i get in and eventually you're not being heard and maybe it's too loud in there you're gonna knock a little bit louder and you're going to continue to knock and continue to try to get people's attention, maybe get that door open and you can maybe have some of that feast that, that you were promised, that the actual constitution says is rightfully yours as well. But at some point when you're not being heard and people are not, not only are they not answering the door, they're looking through the people and being like, yeah, no, you can chill outside for a minute. And you're starving and you have children that are starving. At some point you're going to break and you're going to try and break that door down. And I think, that, in many ways, is where we are. So I don't specifically believe that the solution to violence is more violence. And this, the solution of being looked at as a criminal is to commit crimes. And, and in fact, I'm dismayed 
by the fact that many of the people who were looting and burning things were not actually the peaceful protesters. They were people that co-opted the movement or just young people who were tired of being stuck in their house and they wanted to get outside, blow off some steam and put a cop car being flipped over on IG Live. That's what I believe. But I do understand that when you don't have a voice, when you are constantly not heard and not seen, at some point you're going to scream. So somebody sees you and hears you. Um, in, in that was the conflict that I had this weekend watching multiple cities in the United States burn, um, is that, um, there's, there's valid pain, uh, on, on both sides of that spectrum in that aisle. Yeah. I, I know that it's going to be simple for some people to look at violence and, and looting and fires and be distracted by those images and that you're going to see a lot of them. And this is not to say that I would ever support looting or that any of these, some of these images that we're seeing are, are what I would think is, is a positive way to react. But the more I sit with this and the more that, yeah, you know what? I, I, I'll be honest. I feel like a level of complicity as a white person in this, in this regard that this has been happening for so long and so many people have been outspoken from the black community as to what is happening and how they feel and whether it's Colin Kaepernick taking a knee turning into something that it wasn't about which is like the flag and all these other bullshit issues that it got turned into but I think that there's this level of exhaustion that came amongst people where they just were tired they were quote they just became tired of it that they didn't care about it anymore and that silent protest, something that so many of us claim to be so interested in that like, you know, we grew up and you hear about Martin Luther King Jr. and you hear about Mahatma Gandhi and this is the way that they mobilize change and this is the way that they enforce change. And it just like you you don't beat anything but a peaceful protest that this this has been happening for this amount of time without real change, without people really acknowledging it. And what sucks and what feels so awful is that it really has taken violence. It has taken social disorder for people to kind of really look at things and start to reevaluate exactly what change means and how they can be a part of that. Because really you can be optimistic and I, and I try to be as well in this situation. I try to think of, okay, well, you know, these conversations are important and maybe this time it will last, but it does sadden me to know that so many people asked for help and they were met with a response of mostly silence and mostly people who were just very, very comfortable participating with the status quo up until the point where they started to feel uncomfortable, up until they started to feel like they were pressured. And even when I see images like, you know, police departments in Miami taking a knee outside of, of their precincts and joining the public or holding up signs about Black Lives Matter or wanting to end police brutality, it's, it's hard to reconcile with why it took violent action in order for these things to to, to happen, why it took rioting and looting and, and, and burning of cop cars and cops feeling threatened before somebody took notice and somebody took a stand against awful and evil cop culture and racist policies towards the way that, that we police communities. 
And to me, that's heartbreaking because it's just this. So this is the precedent. Like this is what it takes for people to be able to sit back and realize their complicity. It's violence. And that's something that's just making me sad. Like, I, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. I mean, in terms of why it took, you know, this long, I mean, I don't know, like, Freddie Gray wasn't enough. Eric Garner wasn't enough. Walter Scott wasn't enough. Uh, Yvonne Smallwood wasn't enough. Randy Evans wasn't enough. Claude Reese wasn't enough. Clifford Glover wasn't enough. Keith Scott wasn't enough. Terrence Crutcher wasn't enough. John Crawford wasn't enough. Lando Castillo wasn't enough. Sandra Bland wasn't enough. Oscar Grant wasn't enough. Sean Bell wasn't enough. Trayvon Martin wasn't enough. Tamir Rice wasn't enough. Mike Brown wasn't enough. Aina Jones was enough. Alton Sterling wasn't enough. Jordan Davis wasn't enough. Stephon Clark wasn't enough. Jordan Edwards wasn't enough. Right? Ahmad Arbery recently wasn't enough. And that just happened. You know, it, it just it, it just well no it, it just came to light. It, it happened earlier in the year. The videotape just happened, which made mm -hmm. people motivated for for something uh, to happen. Um, and, and, and sadly, that's another commentary. In terms of well, you're, you, I need I need the receipts. I can't just take your word for it. I need video proof that something happened. And even when video proof is shown, sometimes we you you don't have uh, an arrest. Sometimes you don't have uh, a charge. And and those are things that I mean in the black community you don't even really trip over an arrest or a charge. You're actually you know waiting for sentencing because you know that the the, the justice system is is stacked up against you and to that point as as ahmad arbery happened brianna taylor happened at the same time and there was no videotape thus it wasn't a big hashtag people weren't running for brianna taylor and people weren't sending letters to congress for brianna taylor because there wasn't that video to motivate people and it's just sad that hey not only do you have to die, make sure you document it while you go out. Like that—that's—that's that's so unfair. And, and for 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 people to think that, you know, oh well, this is a, an American issue. Well, tell that to DeAndre Campbell. Tell that to Andrew Loku. Tell that to Jermaine Garvey. It, it, these are Canadians that had the exact same issue happen to them. And and you know, if you just scrolled through that list of names that I, you know, read saying like, I get the point, it took too long. No, that's exactly the point that it could take however long it just took me to recite the names. And those are just the ones that I can remember. So, um, it, this is not new. It's funny. Um, you know, I, I some of the messages, um, that I've received and I've seen about, um, people being so surprised, um, about, you know, what has gone on and, and, and what has happened. And thus, you know, now they're, they're motivated. I mean, the black people are not surprised. They, they've well been aware of, of what's gone on. And in fact, the only thing that's changed is with technology, it's not happening more frequently. Other people are seeing it more frequently. Black people have seen it and felt it in their communities for hundreds of years <laughs> literally if we're talking about them dying um at the hands of powerful white men and so you know black people are not surprised maybe they're, they're surprised that now people care or pretend to care um but they've they've 
been motivated about it because it's not it's in in fact not a surprise you're always going to get pushback from assholes who try to point to just raw statistics that will tell you that there are more white people killed by cops and all these other things ignoring disproportionality but i think that for a lot of white people that it's almost this state of disbelief because it's so foreign to you the idea that you would be in this much danger from a police officer to a white person. And I am speaking in generalities here because I think that this is for the very most part true. And it's been my personal experience multiple times is that a, a police officer to you is still a sign of safety. A police officer to you is, if anything, a inconvenience. It's something where, oh, you might get a ticket. And for me, I have had instances where I've had run-ins with cops. I've never been arrested, but I've been put in the back of a cop car I've been put, I, I've been, I've been held and it's been for dumb, it's for, been for dumb things like, you know, open containers and for honestly, mostly that getting in a fight. But do you know what happens when I've had these instances? I've been cocky with police officers. I've been, the reason that these guys ended up kind of getting in my face is because I was a dick about it. And the reason why I was a dick about it, and this is just a, honestly, this is a recent reflection, which goes to show you how little thought people put into this stuff is that I did this because I knew that nobody was going to put their neck into the back of my head and kill me. That that's not a thought that's ever gone through my head. I've been maybe afraid of a cop in terms of being in trouble and how it would affect my career down the line and all this other stuff. But I've never felt like, oh, well, this is going to lead to my loss of life. And these are kind of the reflections that I think are are so difficult for some people to be able to grasp is that is the magnitude of this, that there's this idea of you look at social media, you see, you see what's happening and it seems so overwhelming and you don't feel like you're a part of it when in actuality you are a part of it just through that, that process, which is, Hey, think about how differently you are treated or how differently your interactions are. But I just, this is where it gets difficult is how do we get to a place where your interactions with a cop feel the same way as mine? Where I think you mentioned to me once that in university, the number of times that you were pulled over and it was like a number that I couldn't even comprehend. Like it was just like, well, how is that even possible? Over 20, over 20 in, in, in four years. I actually, and I, I, I've never actually told anyone this. I would, um, I would chart, okay, this year, what's going to be higher, the number of touchdowns I score or times I've been pulled over? Like, just as, just as a thought experiment. It was like a motivation to get more touchdowns, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, – I, 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 I can't remember what the, the final number was, but it was, I remember passing 20 as a milestone. Yeah, and, like, again, I think that when you hear this kind of stuff and you're white, it's hard for you to even internalize it. And it's hard for you to even understand what exactly that means. Like, again, I have no point of reference to this. Everything, every incident that I've had with a cop, for the most part, I mean, one time I got pulled over jaywalking, trying to catch the subway. And another time uh, I was standing off of my porch having a, a drink from a, a, like a, a beer and a cop pulled up and wanted me to show ID. But again, I got cocky in that instance and I was lippy and I was mouthy and it was all this different stuff. But I, I just, I don't think people have been able to kind of wrap their heads around it until recently. And this is what I'm talking about in terms of the unfortunateness of it is that it's taken other people to be uncomfortable. It's taken 
people in communities to not feel as safe. It's taken destruction of property. It's taken this level of anger and national vitriol, both in the States and in Canada and in the city of Toronto, where you know we saw uh, a protest that started in Christie Pitts over this weekend for people to start talking this way. And I guess that's that's the question for me is like, what do you what do you think is the next step here? I know this is like an impossible question to ask, and this is an impossible like topic to even try to scratch the surface of. But just in terms of everyday people, in terms of how they mobilize or how you start to make something that actually has lasting productivity over having a conversation that lasts a week and then having it dissipate just back into the status quo again. Yeah, I mean, I'm hopeful that my child's experience is uh, infinitely different than mine. I've never committed a crime. Uh, I've never had or consumed any illegal drug. Um, I barely drink unless it's accompanied by a meal or it's out of a trophy. Uh, Yet, I have, you know, as we've talked about, you know, had driving while black um, issues many, many times. Um, uh, I've had my door in my home, uh, not my current home, but a previous home in Toronto, aggressively knocked on and almost knocked down. And when I opened it, um, had uh, badges shown and and uh, firearms pointed and was screamed at in terms of my uh, previous whereabouts and what I was up to, what I currently was up to was uh, binge watching movies with my brother and my, uh, at the time, girlfriend. Uh, and eventually, due to my um, general bewilderment as to what was going on, one of the two police officers kind of got the wind that they had the wrong person in the wrong address uh, and they um, sheepishly walked away. Um, with the disclaimer that I fit the description. Um, And so I am hopeful that my son doesn't have those same experiences um, because I'm hopeful this generation coming up, you know, with the proliferation of the internet and the ability to comport yourself via the palm of your hand to any neighborhood, any country, any area in the world, uh, any socioeconomic status and background or religion, I'm hoping that this generation just has access and resources um, to give them a level of shared understanding that we wouldn't necessarily have because we grew up in a bit of a bubble and a bit of an echo chamber. Um, And then our, our beliefs and our thoughts and our mores and our values were ingrained in us. I'm hopeful that this generation, which uh, people give them a hard time, but, you know, they've been much more uh, uh, responsible and vocal about climate change. They've been much more responsible and and vocal when it comes to uh, gun rights and changing legislations around um, firearms and assault rifles specifically. I'm hoping that this is going to be one of many issues that they are much more vocal and responsible on than their predecessors. My, my real fear, though, is that the world that we are going to leave them is basically going to be burnt down, that the current um, powers that be 
are doing such a terrible job of shepherding us that I'm not really sure what's going to be left of the world that they're going to inherit. But I do have optimism that people younger than I, I see it in my um, goddaughter, I see it in my younger um, cousins, and you know, I hope to eventually see it in my son. Um, but I see it in, in what young kids are doing all the time um, that, uh, that they're going to be better than our predecessors were on this issue. See, this is again where I feel a level of sadness just thinking back to stuff I thought about over the weekend, which is I can distinctively remember being in, I want to say grade seven or eight because I had just entered junior high because you don't really learn about racism when you're in elementary school. And it's not really even a thought that comes in your head. But when you start to learn about history and you start to learn about racial inequality and again, in our country as well, when we're having this conversation, it, it needs to be said that indigenous people in this country fall under the same camp, that many of the policing issues that black people feel in, in Canada, that they also extend to Native Americans. And you start hearing about you know, residential schools and you start learning about slavery and you start learning about Jim Crow laws. And you, I, I, I remember just having the thoughts of, okay, well, that's the old time. That's the, the time before when people were stupid and people were hicks and, and, and nobody knew any better. And now we know better. And now we're going to be different. And that this is just going to be something that will be tackled in my lifetime by my peer groups because I, again, there was just no reason to feel that type of hate. There was no reason to feel like you were raised with feeling like some person was inferior to you because of the color of their skin. But that that became this like comfortable bar that for a really long time, like my heroes were black. That's just like basically every single one of my heroes growing up was black. And I think that for a long time, that's just allowed me to be like, well, you know, like I'm not racist. So like this isn't my thing. This isn't the thing that I'm going to like. This isn't my fault. This isn't my issue. And clearly just the, that has not been enough. And this is kind of why, like, even when you were talking about the phones, I'm really hesitant to just jump on social media, not because I don't want to use my platform for change, but because I don't want it to feel like that's the thing that I do or that's enough. And that I, I think that my one fear with our society and the way that things are going is that I think it's really easy to just post on your phone that black lives matter. But what do you do beyond that now? Like, what exactly are you going to do? Are you going to put more of an emphasis in terms of how you vote into making sure there is equality? Are you going to be able to really sit down and acknowledge what your privilege means and how you can use it in order to give other people the same feelings of equality that you have right now or to get you onto a level footing what kind of a sacrifice are you actually willing to make whether it's with your time or whether it's your money and yeah the mental effort that you put into a cause this is what's going to be i think that having your phones and having access to places to donate and having access to to see things is important but actually stepping out of of that reality of that bubble of your phone it's going to be more important now than ever because I just, I don't want, my hope is anyways, that people don't just look at that as, well, I did my tweet or I donated my $50 and so I'm ready to move back on to what it is I was doing before. I honestly believe that our Indigenous and First Nations communities in Canada have it worse 
than black people. I mean, it, black people's issues, you can you can try to avoid them and, and not see them. Many of the issues that our First Nations community have are, are literally out of sight. They're, and thus they become uh, out of mind. Uh, it, there's, there's no way, there's no way that you would have uh, the highway of tears if um, it was predominantly young white females that are dying. We would have, as a country, at some point said, well, this is unacceptable. This is, what we're doing to this point is not enough. We need to change this. It's not new. This, this, is, not a, this is not a small sample. From 1970 until now, in, indigenous women have gone missing and, and murdered, many of which crimes still remain unsolved. And, and those are just the ones that we know about. Look at incarceration percentages in this country for Native American proportionality compared to white. Just just take a look at it sometime when you have free time. Yeah. So, I mean, to to, to say that we don't have racial issues in Canada, one, it's factually correct, but two, it's actually hurtful to the people who, who suffer because of it. And, that, and it's, it's not just, you know, something that's unique to, to black people, something that's shared um, in experiences that are shared by people of color and visible minorities uh, across the country. I mean, in, and I have a somewhat of a platform, so I get to speak about it, but the, the things that I've described are not unique to me. I, I just happen to be the person um, that works at Sportsnet that has a bit of a voice, a bit of a, a, a platform. Um, Michael, our producer, uh, we share the same pigment. That we do. Yeah, you're just better looking. Um, uh, what have you <laughs> Younger, felt? too. He's younger, what have, too. What have you... That's why he's better looking. Uh, what, uh, <laughs> what have these times unearthed in in you um i think my nature is always to be solution oriented we see what's happening and history those who don't learn from it are doomed to repeat it and i have some like basic things that kind of try to toe the line on both on both sides here that are going to be very instrumental in in terms of allowing us to navigate this and the first thing is there's waves of protests across Canada, across obviously the US, and we're seeing that nationwide down there. Uh, and there's a lot of people representing it with genuine, legitimate frustration. These are decades long, centuries long failure to reform police practices and broader criminal justice systems in, in the US and Canada and whatnot. And I'll say one thing is the overwhelming majority of participants, they're peaceful, they're courageous, uh, responsible, inspiring. And uh, they deserve our respect and our support, not condemnation that you might see on social media and whatnot. But uh, something like, for example, I think of Camden, I think of Flint, where, you know, police have, have stood side by side with some of these uh, marginalized communities and their efforts. I actually saw something on social media that I posted onto my story as well. Yet, on the other hand, you know, I think it's got the small minority of folks who are resorted to violence that we mentioned earlier in the episode, uh, whether it's out of genuine anger or mere opportunism, like you were talking about board coming up off their, their couches. And they're putting innocent people at risk. And that is what kind of hurts me. It's compounding the destruction of neighborhoods. And I remember seeing this uh, elderly black woman being interviewed and, and her only grocery store got vandalized. It got trashed. And if history any, serves as any guide, that may take years to come back. So 
One thing I want to see is like, I know we're talking about violence and that's what gets it, it gets headlines, but we don't want to rationalize it or even participate in it. Like, I think the most important thing is we have to operate on a higher ethical code because that's what we want as a marginalized community. So you kind of have to behave the way you want to be treated in that respect. So looting and all these things, like there's ways around that. There's ways to go ahead and affect change without putting innocent lives at risk. So then I think to myself, what can we do? And I start thinking to myself, you know, when we say use our vote, the first thing we think is on national level, you know, we think about who we're voting as prime minister, who we're voting for as president. But the real effective change, if you want it in your community specifically, is voting at a local level, at a state level, at a provincial level. And, and being able to understand at the bottom line is if we want to bring around real change, the choice isn't between protesting and politics or throwing out a tweet. It's about doing both protesting and politics. It's about mobilizing uh, and raising awareness uh, so that we can organize and cast your ballots in a way that you go and elect candidates who will then act on reform. That to me is really important to not just let this be a whisper in the wind and have this conversation parlay into people using their inalienable right in a democracy, which is voting. Well said. I will, um, in the last real piece for me is you know I, I i i did watch those scenes and i was like i hope everyone who's in those streets registered to vote because mm-hmm. uh, you had other options and the guy who who said you know in in charleston that there were good people on both sides um you chose that that leader um and sometimes you you, you don't have great options and you have to choose between of two evils um or, or, or three evils. But I will say this. There's, you mentioned people having power and using their vote. Um, they also can vote with their dollars. Yep. And I think individually people feel helpless. They feel like, I, what can I do? I, I'm hearing that from many people who want to be allies. I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't have a huge following like some of the celebrities. But, but I, I do think that businesses have power. And I do think that businesses react to dollars. And I think you can vote with your dollars. And although I challenge people to make change with what they consume and how they consume, I also challenge businesses and leagues. And if and this is a sports podcast, if we, if we bring it back to sports to end the conversation, if you make money off of the back of black athletes, off the back of black bodies and black ingenuity, and you're okay with that, but you're not okay with using your position to help the plight of the people who who you are in employing. That's 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 a problem. That's a a a miscast of the power that you have. So it, if you're gonna have a sporting event, and you know on the floor are going to be black athletes and in the intermissions you're going to play black music and you're going to show on the jumbotron kids doing dances created by black people but yet you don't care enough to use some of your power to help those people you're you're part of the problem and in sports has shown that it has incredible power the hb2 bathroom bill in charlotte didn't change because people felt like it it changed because the nba said we're not going we're not bringing the all-star game we're not bringing all of that money and then other corporations said well wait a minute the nba is not going to be in charlotte can we be in charlotte how's it going to look and other corporations took a similar stand 
in 1991, the NFL took the Super Bowl away from Arizona because the state of Arizona refused to acknowledge MLK Day, Martin Luther King Day. So, so leagues have power. People have power in the same way as a sports community. We rallied for the, the Humboldt, Saskatchewan community after the terrible bus crash, and we raised money, the, the second highest GoFundMe ever. In the same way we rallied for PPE and for resources to help the frontline workers and the healthcare providers during COVID-19. The same way the, the sports industry has power to rally for many of the fans and athletes that happen to be minorities. And, and we as media also have power in terms of the language that we use when we are talking about black people that shapes perceptions in minds, the way we do it, the way we present those stories, and also who we employ and allow to, to present those stories. So people, I understand feeling helpless. I at times feel helpless. We all have intrinsic power. We just have to figure out how to use it and we have to be willing to continue to use it even when the hashtags aren't trending anymore. I, I think that you guys just nailed it in terms of the two things that make me feel optimistic. One is that, yeah, the only way for you to get better leaders, for you to get better officials, is to pay more attention. And so I do, I do think that it is incumbent on us to, you know, you talked about this, this new generation, this, this group of younger people. And, and I do think that we are still included in that in terms of caring about the environment. It's like when you go to the polls, you need to start putting the same perspective on racial issues as you do the way that you look at the environment or the way that you do look at taxes, that you need to be able to hold public servants accountable for this. And that when we're looking at putting these officials in place, that that becomes more of a priority than it's been, because what we've been doing has not been working. And the league conversation, the sports league conversation to me is where I think there's going to be the most pressure now. Because do you, do you know what year it was that LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Carmelo Anthony, and, and Chris Paul stood up at the ESPYs and spoke on police brutality? Do you want to just guess? I'm going to say 2015. Yeah, 2016. So we're talking about four years later. We're back in this exact same cycle. You look at right now, Jalen Brown's driving down to Atlanta to participate in peaceful protests. I saw Lonnie Walker today is in his community and making sure that he's helping scrub graffiti and, and clean up after riots. You see members of the Dallas Mavericks protesting through uh, through Dallas and, and going to the police precinct. And the guy that I look at, though, that was there was Mark Cuban. And that's what I would really think of is I'm used to seeing our athletes speak up against injustice. They've been doing it. And I don't know what else you can continue to ask for them. Like, what else is LeBron James supposed to do at this point? Like, what, what more can you ask for from Colin Kaepernick? At, like, at what point does this shift to, okay, what else is everybody else doing? What happens to the people that have the majority of the money here now? So you, you mentioned it, that I, I think that the next step is going to be with these sports leagues. Hey, what, what are owners putting into, what are owners putting into these causes? How are they donating? They're the ones, when we're talking about like policy changes, you know how you change policies also with lobbyists? And you know what lobbyists need is money. You need big time money in order to make these changes happen. And the people who have that big time money are NBA owners, are NFL owners, are sports league owners. Like I, I saw the, the dude from Washington, the Nationals owner, I think his name is Ted Lerner. 
He's he's worth five point two billion. He's the richest man in Maryland. What what is he going to do? He's not paying his athletes, but are you going to start to hold your sports teams accountable with your dollars as well, with your loyalty as well to some of these things? And like that to me is going to be the next public pressure is as fans of these leagues as well. You really need to start thinking about the types of pressure that you do put on these owners to make sure that they are using their dollars productively and that it's not simply, well, hey, the athlete is getting paid. And so they're able to take whatever small percentage of what the owner has and and put it into the causes that they desire, that it extends beyond that. Like, let's see what happens with the Mark Cubans of the world. Let's see what happens with the other owners of the world. Yeah, Mark uh, Lerner um, and Ted Leonsis also in Washington um, has been vocal as well. Yeah, Mark Cuban is a great example. He's got, you know, multiple businesses. He's, he's buying some Shark Tank episode I watch. Um, he's, he's obviously, you know, outspoken and, and vocal, and we saw him marching. But he's also on the president's return to play committee in terms of sports executives and commissioners that have the ear of politicians in order to see how and when sports are going to be able to return in, you know, in that case, the United States. Is he going to use some of that exposure to maybe say something to some politicians that might be a little bit uncomfortable, knowing that if they don't appreciate what he says, they may have a blowback on the ability for his team to play again, or maybe even in a a different way, uh, some of his other businesses? Um, we'll see. We'll see because uh, as much as I appreciate the fact that every single, you know, comms VP had to work on a Sunday and put out a message from every team in every league. Uh, so the Instagram likes were had because I would have loved to see the message from all those individuals uh, when Colin Kaepernick was taking a knee for these very same issues and was being criticized routinely. Um, So we'll see um, what happens moving forward because as Michael said, um, it's time for action and time to be pragmatic and deliberate on on how things uh, change. I think that's a perfect way to end it. Um, Thanks for your guys' perspective and thanks to the listeners and um, again, I, I hope that we can all just use this time to reflect, get better, and, and grow. Um, this is Free Association on the Sportsnet Podcast Network.